All right, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, Adam, you've been to 100 meetings this week. Do you think <laughs> the bunker could get heritage designation or a patio? Um, or uh, both. What do you think? Uh, Should I go for both? Heritage <laughs> designation. How, how, how much research do you have about the, the nine criteria... The cinder blocks that I... (laughs) (laughs) You need to meet four out of nine criteria to get that new heritage designation. Oh, well, it's probably not going to (laughs) happen. Patio, though, you never know. World's smallest patio. Yeah, Yeah, you live in the ward. You want to start that fight over again? Yeah. (laughs) I would just do it. (laughs) Just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The the ward is full of easygoing people when it comes to patios. Uh, Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. This week, that person will be Aaron Caton, who's going to join us to talk about how the city is progressing on all those housing issues, and they will talk about being the first non-binary member of city council during this Pride Month, plus a bit of AI chat, which Aaron has, uh, being a techie, has some uh, expertise. She's not an expert in AI, but she had, she certainly comes from the techie world, so we're going to get some feedback about that. That's going to be at the bottom half of the hour before that. We're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including a Florida man. He was back in court. <laughs> uh, this might be the worst one of all, and we're going to talk about how it's been going down. But first, uh, you don't have David Johnston to kick around anymore. Uh, he's out. Uh, you, you, he fired himself as rapporteur. Um, that was uh, one of the Friday news dump items. He uh, let the, the government know that uh, he is tired of... Uh, well, maybe he didn't say he was tired, but he said that certainly the, the partisan rancor around his appointment and the decision he made not to host a public inquiry, that uh, it's made it... in difficult if not impossible for him to continue on as the rapporteur he's still doing uh or he's still preparing a final report i think in the meantime the government is meeting with opposition parties to decide where this is going to go next in the meantime uh the rcmp is uh formally investigating the uh allegations that chinese were intimidating michael chong and looking at intimidating members of his family who still live in hong kong Apparently, the RCMP found out at the same time we all did that Michael Chong was the target of Chinese <laughs> of Chinese intimidation. So, uh, you know, just another week, and it seems that uh, governance is working really well in here in Canada as our various apparatuses uh, speak clearly and plainly with each other on these important matters of national interest. Yeah, except, yeah. There's one thing that needs work across the board, and Johnson did mention that when he uh, sat down just before he uh, resigned. Mm-hmm. Is the fact that you know communication between he's specifically talking about the government and intelligence and mm-hmm. intelligence organizations was bad, but it does go beyond that. With the RCMP, that was kind of the breaking news earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. The hundred investigations underway, mm-hmm. and the alleged police stations were closed. So, if that's the case, then we know you know that something is up. It's there. There is no question that there's interference of some sort going on it's just how in the heck are we going to find out now johnson is still going to put out his report which i initially thought was going to come out 
later in his, oh, I think it was supposed to be a six month run, but he's, it sounds mm-hmm. like he's going to be, oh, no, it'll be the end of June or July. So it's, it's coming, coming soon. He's just going to, I guess, pack up, tidy up mm-hmm. the notes and, and hand that in. Mm-hmm. And and good on him, I suppose. You know, be, considering what he called it, the intense politicization of the whole thing. Yeah, and uh, it, you know, it was a bit of a shame. But uh, the, the thing I think what we're going to see out of this now, and this is sort of a secondary story, but we're kind of seeing it with Mendicino this week, is that I think Polyev will chalk this up as a win, for sure. Being the main person that was chipping away at at this at Johnson's credibility. Yeah, because weirdly, when when Aaron O'Toole had his final speech this past week, he called. I'm not sure if it was during the speech or at some point during this week. Aaron O'Toole, ex leader of the Conservatives, called Johnson a quote respected person with mm-hmm. national security experience. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, sorry, <laughs> I got that wrong. That's <laughs> that's who they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I, I mixed up my quotes there. O'Toole called him just an exceptional Canadian, right? right? So. That's the kind of decorum we used to have, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what we used to see with these things. But now it's just this sort of, you know, jab, jab, jab until the, the person caves or we just get tired of hearing Polyev and company, but mostly <laughs> Polyev about this. But yeah, so <laughs> the, the, the question now, of course, is going to be who will be the respected person. I got ahead of myself there. Mm. Who's going to be the respected person? Uh, the great the great question that it seems they're all going to sort out with. I don't know how they're going to do it. Mm hmm. Well, I mean, that's the real trick is, or who knows at this point, <laughs> that's the real trick is, you know, Justin Trudeau, Canadian prime minister, son of a prime minister. Uh, can you get somebody in like big enough authority in Canadian political class who does not have a Trudeau connection? I mean, we're, this, this is, this is, this is like six degrees of Kevin Bacon and you're trying to find someone mm-hmm. who isn't within six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, six degrees of Justin Trudeau. I'm I'm glad you mentioned. I mean, first of all, for Aaron O'Toole, he in his like exit speech, um, he he's stepping down from the house. He you know he's talking about like all this like social media hatred and vitriol and things like that. And it's like, dude, you hired Canada Proud to run your leadership campaign, so you yeah. know glass houses, bro. Um, the other thing is Dominic LeBlanc was on. I think he was on Power, not Power and Politics, the CTV one, Power Play. Um. Yeah. He's talking about, you know, there's been good exchange of ideas in the last 48 hours and like things like partisan slap wise seem to have cooled off. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think I know why that is. And it's because, you know, Pierre Polivare is out there on Wednesday morning talking about Mark Marco Mendicino must step down because he knew that Paul Bernardo was being transferred. It's like, this is the. This is now the Polyvere game, and that's why I was like nodding my head, although people couldn't see I was nodding my head about the the inference that you know this is about to borrow a phrase collecting scalps. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Polyvere's got Johnston's. Now he's on to Mendicino's. He's going to be banging that drum until you know he finds someone else to bother and annoy, or until Mendicino steps down. I don't. I can't imagine Marco Mendicino is going to step down because. As public safety minister, he was made aware of a, a high-profile detainee in Canadian prison being moved from one facility to another. That should hardly be surprising. But on on the other hand, I'd be... I mean, this is like where kind of the minutia of governance meets the reality of of how people live their lives. I mean, how many emails do you get where you just sort of like recognize it, click it, flip through it, and then move on? In a day? I mean, I do that all the time because I get so many press releases and things. It's like, okay, mm. it's, is this of um, some sort of moderate interest to me? Nope. Okay, moving on. 
Um, and, and I wonder if that was the same thing. And you can make the point, like, sure, we're getting into talking about Paul Bernardo again, but you can make the point that, you know, Paul Bernardo was someone who has whose name is immediately going to evoke things but it's it's not Mar- and somebody made this great point on on twitter um the liberals have previously gotten into trouble for being too directly involved in the justice system and now pierre polivare is getting up and saying no 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 they're not involved enough in the justice system so which one is it <laughs> just <laughs> to bring it back to david johnson though um I, I feel like that was it. They exploited like a connection between Trudeau and, and Johnston, which was like 40 years ago and, and managed to, you know, make, make it, a, make it a thing or make it a big enough thing that Johnston couldn't do the job anymore. And, you know, but say whatever you want about wanting an inquiry or not wanting an inquiry, but you know, it, it was all about ruining him. And, and again, to make the point too, Polivare never met with Johnston. You think if this was such a big deal to Polivare, he would meet with anyone who would want to meet with him to talk about this and make the point. And maybe say to Johnston's face, like, hey, I, I think you should call a public inquirer. Like, I think your connections to Trudeau don't make you the right person for the job. But of course, that <laughs> that would mean that Polivare would be really invested into getting to the bottom of this, which, you know, I, I think is not still not the case. Yeah, and I feel I've said this, but like Singh is saying the same thing. Yes, had said the same thing. Yeah, but again, it's the style. The style is different. Yeah, and you know, they're they're liberals, NDP working together at this point. But that's that. Put that aside. You're still uh, an opposition party, and you you say your piece, but uh, then then it just becomes this train wreck of accusations. Because it was uh, when Trudeau flew to Ukraine. There, it was like, how can he fly there in this crisis? Yeah, it's like, are you <laughs> supposed to stop everything because of this? inquire or not inquire about something that is already happy no it wasn't it's not an active crisis you, know, you could argue that the forest fires were an active crisis but ukraine is a crisis too right which we're, mm-hmm. we're involved in whether we like it or not mm-hmm. we're tied to that the candle is tied to that but yeah in terms of in terms of finding another person and this will be the problem because the name that came to mind for me was louise arbour mm. would be a, a fairly good choice i don't know who appointed her in the past or whatever or if she's even willing to do it because she has done this type of work. She wasn't a rapporteur with the UN, but worked with the UN. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but well-regarded, uh, seasoned person, lots of experience. But then it'll be like, oh, she had tea with Margaret Trudeau in 1979. And then she'll be out too, right? Yeah, like It's yeah. just this ridiculous, <laughs> endless, like you cannot find that perfect, ideal person with all of the credentials and qualifications to do that, that doesn't, because it's a small, it is a small pool. Ottawa is a small pool, right? Yeah, Canada in general is. You, there has to be someone out there that can handle it, but rather than go the rapporteur route again or whatever, it's like at this point, why not just have the inquiry? Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds like what it's what yeah. most people want, but now it's like, and yeah, I, I saw a bit of that LeBlanc piece as well, and he was saying, you know, we're we're gonna work, we're gonna work with the other parties, maybe. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it's not a blank check. I think was the way he put it. Whatever, whatever that means. I like, mean, they, they also can't. That not. means it's like the liberals will get their way. Yeah, maybe for the most part. I don't know what that. I think that's what that means. This is going to be one of those things where they can't not. I mean, at this point, they can't not have a public inquiry. It's almost literally the option left. They had a rapporteur. Rapporteur. They got someone who they thought was going to be acceptable to everyone because you know Johnson was named Governor General by Stephen Harper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't have any obvious I, I should say obvious connections 
um, to, to the Trudeau Foundation or Justin Trudeau. The, the obvious connections don't matter. There was an interesting Toronto Star column that was essentially like, this is not the time for, you know, uh, the, the ask not political philosophy. It's like, just because <laughs> yeah. you're asked to serve doesn't mean you necessarily should serve. But um, the the... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's a question of like who is acceptable, and you know, instead of you know trying to find like the perfect person again, you know, why not just like open it up to the public? Because I, I think there is a legitimate concern here that stems back to that communication piece where the memo goes out, says like, oh yeah, you know, Chinese government people are intimidating our MPs, or like highly critical of China, you know, it's just an FYI. And then one of the, the, the guy who wrote that memo appeared at, at committee two. And he's like, uh, well, no, not the guy who wrote the memo, but the uh, Morrison, who was one of the national security advisors since 2021. He said, well, yeah, we got the memo, but it wasn't, you know, reportable. It wasn't something that was ready to be briefed. And it's like, okay, well, who, who decides what gets briefed and what go like rises to level of briefing? One would think that an external threat at a foreign country threatening one of our members of parliament would be that. And it's the same with the RCMP. Um, the current commissioner, uh, Mike DeHume, he, he's, he's like, well, I, I don't remember seeing the memo. Um, but that's not to say we didn't get the memo. It's like, well, at what point do you raise the alarm to the RCMP, which is also itself an intelligence agency? So... You know, I think that's the big question of all of this. Um, uh, and maybe to take it further, like, do we need a public inquiry to sort of rake that all out over the calls? Maybe. Why can't we just make changes to something? I, I feel like the, the public inquiry is a crutch. It's like, it's one of these things, like, not to make it too local, but, you know, Cam Guthrie called for a meeting this week on, on the homeless crisis. It makes it sound like he just discovered there's a homeless crisis. Uh, in, in, and I'm curious, like, is there a magical cure to the homeless crisis that we've just been sitting on waiting for the mayor to call a meeting? I feel like that's the same thing with the public inquiry. If, you know, I, I think we know a lot about what the problem is. Why don't we just present solutions rather than, you know, going through the dog and pony show? It, yeah. And if, if the inquiry would stitch together all these things that are dribbling out in committees, yeah, then it would be worthwhile. Yeah. But also to have actionable items at the end of it. Like any yeah, good yeah. meeting, it's like, what are you actually going to do rather than just have a meeting? Because if, <laughs> if, if the solution is to just have the meeting, we know <sighs> that that is always useless. And and the majority of, we need to do something. Let's have a meeting. Let's have a committee. Let's have <laughs> yes. a public inquiry. Yeah. But at the end at the end of the day, <gasps> if nothing comes out of it, it's useless. It yeah. is useless. So have to somebody has to make sure <laughs> that that isn't the end result of that because you're, they're all spinning the wheels and it's just strictly at this point scoring or trying to score political points. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like something needs to be explained out. Like, what is our goal of this situation? Is it to like make sure that MPs are better informed if there's a threat? Is it to make sure that we don't end up in a situation where there are threats? Is it to like take a general look at, you know, government interference on Canadian soil, things like these like Chinese police stations and all that. It's yep. just, yeah. Otherwise it's just a slap fight. And I, I'm, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm, I'm sick of the slap fight. It's because, well, every, every day the delay is every yeah. day closer to the next election. And that's it's right. Not fixed. So yeah, that's right. What are y'all going to do about it? That's right. Yeah. Imagine having an election this fall, like all of a sudden, like a confidence oh. motion fails, and all of this is hanging over everybody over it's, everybody's and that's head. That's entirely possible, right? It's like, possible. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right. Speaking of unexpected situations, um, <laughs> Donald Trump went back to court this week. Uh, kind of a bombshell. Last Thursday night, 
the Justice Department Special Counselor Jack Smith, who's been investigating the mishandling of government documents, many of which are labeled top secret or worse, um, being stored at Donald Trump's uh, beach club slash retirement home. Uh, 34 indictments in all. And uh, boy, uh, these are not... uh, these are not the loosey goosey type of indictments. Let's just say uh, Donald Trump's facing serious charges. He and a, a, an aide, Walt uh, Nuada, uh, who um, is, uh, I, I guess, his current body man, his uh, sort of uh, valet. I guess to really <laughs> sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. It's he. He's he literally walks behind Trump. That actually happened in court. They both stood at the defendant's table, and then Trump left, and he was right behind Trump. And uh, so all of this comes down. Uh, Donald Trump could be looking at several decades in prison if convicted. Uh, so, I mean, let alone just the high stakes of uh, president, current presidential candidate, former president being charged in federal court. Uh, like this is real time. And uh, I guess the, the last thing to say about it is happy birthday, Donald Trump. 77 years young today. <laughs> Yeah, they were singing happy birthday to him at that restaurant or wherever he stopped on the way back from court. Yeah. So still in full campaign mode. He was on the weekend prior as well as in Ohio and um, uh, Ohio for sure. I'm not sure where else. Georgia. He was in Georgia. Georgia. The plane getting hauled around. So and, and, you know, of course, asking for cash all the way to fund his. So (laughs) it's playing into the, you know, like billionaires do. Yeah, like billionaires do playing playing into the base. I'm sure there's like witch hunt swag already pre-printed yeah. from China for sale. <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, the dinner was like, was it <gasps> Tuesday night? The dinner at uh, Bedminster, Bedminster, yeah. where the speech was mm-hmm. was like something like a hundred thousand a seat or some just ridiculous mm-hmm. stuff. But but I, and you must have had him too. I laughed so hard when I saw the banker boxes in the, in the washroom. Oh like my I, goodness! I've seen that scene before, and somewhere where I worked, where they ran out of room, uh, and that reminded me of that, and I laughed pretty hard. But yeah, I'm feeling sorry for this Walt Nauta guy because he he'll be the one to be like, I never touched anything. It was Walt. Well, I'll move those boxes. Well, I'll put those there. That's my guess. <laughs> what might one of the possible scenarios they'll play out from this? But it's mm. not really a laughing matter for for America. No. No, because I, I, I'm sure you heard the comments from Bill Barr, ex uh, Attorney General, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. twice to to both George Bush Senior and and Trump, mm-hmm. and he's like, if he said if if half of this is true, Trump is toast. <laughs> but if I understand it right, even if one of these charges <laughs> yeah. is true, he's, he's looking at time, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Like ten to twenty years was suggested, and that—that's like with, for one of them. Mm. But of course, it's all—it's all a frame. It's all, uh, you know, election interference. That was my favorite one. It's like, what? How is this election interference? The uh, I loved seeing Daniel Dale again unwinding his the the <laughs> Bedminster speech, and it's like every <gasps> single thing Trump said was a complete Porky. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice to see Daniel Dale. It feels like he's been. Yeah. Uh, getting some rest after four years of Trump. Um, Andrew Weisserman was on TV last night after the Donald Trump speech uh, when he got to Bedminster. And, and Andrew Weisserman, for people who don't know, is was one of the prosecutors who was working for Bob Mueller. He, he has a long time history working in the uh, the New York Southern District Court. Uh, and he says, like that speech was a confession, and because it was like live on national TV, it can be played in 
the court case as an admission. He, like he doesn't even have to get up on the stand. Like th- they can just put on that tape and go, look, look at look at the criminal defendant com- admitting to all the crimes he did. And some of it was so ludicrous too. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. first of all, first of all, um, thank you for the pictures. It's it's a reminder of just you know Donald Trump's like atrociously tacky taste and decor. Um, like the chandelier in the bathroom. Come on, it's <laughs> and a baby chandelier beside. Them. <laughs> exactly right. Sconce was a chandelier too. I'm like, oh my god, you hit your head when you get up. It's like, a- yeah, no, it's it's nuts. Uh, the other thing though, he's like, it was full of all sorts of things. It was filled with shirts and shoes and socks. It's like I haven't had the time to go through them all because I've just been so busy. It's like, first of all, no, you haven't. Second of all, who keeps shirts and shoes and bank boxes <laughs> thirdly what about all this evidence i mean and <laughs> what i love about this is that uh msnbc went to the trouble of like doing like a book on tape version of the indictment which you can listen to so you don't have to read it you can you oh, can nice. listen to it like a book on tape and it just like go through it step by step like the texting the the, the text they sent to nuada from one of the family members sent to nuada like hey uh just fyi uh, the plane's going to be full of luggage tomorrow, so uh, President Trump can't bring all the boxes he wants. <laughs> Nuwata writes back, okay, well, he'll go through them and decide what he wants to bring with them. And it's like, I don't know how you talk your way out of this. This is like as clear as day. And a lot of legal experts, at least people smarter about American legal affairs than I am, have, have said almost the same thing. And of course, the goal isn't to like explain it away uh, in terms of like finding some justification. The The, the goal is to just ignore it call it a witch hunt fundraise mm-hmm. off of it and move on to the next thing or deflect because it's like well, Pence had documents and biden had documents i mean biden right. there's there's no lock on senate documents like it doesn't matter what biden's got pence may be a little different but the thing was they they gave them back like that's I, right if that's I understand right. It right pence at least was like well oh, sorry here here but then that was trump's one one of the one of the many charges was like they asked him for this stuff back and he refused to give it yes. back. Yes. Because it's it's of value. That's why. Like that and that's what will eventually come out of this, but it's not really spoken about yet. It's like, so why do you have it? Although there is that one meme that has uh, Kim Jong Kim Jong-un sitting on the, the toilet reading through the boxes. <laughs> Which was hilarious, but it's also pretty accurate as to what's going on. Because like, why would you take these? And he's saying, "Well, they were mine. They were mine. They're yeah, yeah. They, they belong to me. They were mine." It's like they're actually not. <laughs> like, no, they belong no. to the people, right? Like, you know, to put it in American context, like this, it's just these laws exist for reasons, and this is the exact reason. Now, I'm sure they never thought it would get to this level. Right. I'm sure there was there was those intentions there. It's like we need to keep this information close because there's lots of people uh, under the Espionage Act in America that have gone to jail for a long, long time for way less, way less. Or or if like somebody it, taking something home by mistake went to jail for a few years. Like it was the or guy was afraid had, was gonna you know, he's gonna be behind on his work. Yeah. So he took it home and he got yeah. nailed and he went to jail. Yeah. So it's like uh, <laughs> yeah and it, like i mean some of them have like like loft game like somebody like chelsea manning for example who yeah, oh, yeah, you know yeah. released you know released classified details so people would know all the dirt that was being done in their name don't like we don't know what donald trump's motivations were other than their mine which is not a, a justification i mean one of the things i think <laughs> worth reminding 
uh, us in this entire process. They've been playing some of that clip of like he was giving somebody a tour of his uh, his like New York City office and Trump Tower before he was president, and it's mm. just filled with all of this sports memorabilia crap like Shaq's mm. shoes and like some championship belt from some WWE fight and and all of this stuff he's just a hoarder he's you know that's yeah. that's almost like the bright side of this like look he's a pack rat he just shoves stuff in banking boxes and then he goes through them from time to time and sometimes he shows it off to other people it's just in this case it's not Shaq's shoes it's like like what what was one example like plans for like a counterattack on Iran or or another like foreign adversary which i mean and another thing that resurfaced this week that kid rock quote where he's like visiting trump and trump is showing him stuff and kid rock was like saying i don't think i should be seeing this man <laughs> even kid rock knows <laughs> i mean kid rock the guy who popularized the turning the american flag into a poncho was like this is getting too real for me <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it, it has the feel of asset stripping to it. Yeah. Right? You're involved with this business for a number of years, and then you're going to take things of value on your way out mm -hmm. the door, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, like any like any you know capital firm would do. You just because it's because it's worth something. Why why else would you do it? Now, mind you, I would say in the business world, there is that kind of as you mentioned, the tr like Shaq shoes, the trophy thing, where mm -hmm. and you do see it a lot when you know the the titans of industry are on a, a zoom call or something then they'll have a signed jersey or something behind them mm -hmm. that's one thing but this this is like next level you know i've got the stuff that nobody else has but not only that it is of value right so mm -hmm. that that's that's where it's going to go i think mm -hmm. uh but you know it's knowing the way things work with trump it could go in any direction i mean this is this is like the the fourth thing he's got ongoing right there's the hush money case Mm -hmm. classified documents mm -hmm. the trump organization in trouble in in new york mm -hmm. and uh the elect of course the election interference in georgia <gasps> it's actually five because there's the yeah there's the uh, interference in georgia which was like the quote-unquote perfect phone call oh yeah and then and then there's i the just January need this many votes <laughs> then there's the, then there's the jan 6 stuff too yeah because I was thinking, weirdly, I was thinking about Max Bernier, who goes home with one file. He was toast. <gasps> that's a, that's such that's a, the I Canadian mean, model. This is, this is like this guy's got all the files to be like, I didn't do anything. Worth <laughs> noting, this, worth noting, the, worth noting, the girlfriend there was also the ex girlfriend of a Hell's Angels member. So, hmm. well, I mean, also the, the other thing, the other flashback that's come out this week is like all the times there have been attempted espionage at Mar-a-Lago, like the the Chinese spy that they caught and the Russian spy who was like wandering around the golf course getting pictures with like Lindsey Graham and everybody. <laughs> it's, I'm I mean, if for the room with the boxes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if there was ever like a high profile security risk. <laughs> I mean, people used to joke you know, when 24 was on the air, people used to joke all the time about how every season they found another mole in CTU. And it was like, well, how easy could you like get into the counterterrorism unit to sabotage things? Well, Mar-a-Lago is the living, breathing example of of that meme. It's <laughs> it's just, you know, that's where this that's where this I mean, speaking of flashbacks, you know, they had like a, a national security meeting on the patio at Mar-a-Lago with Drake during like north korea was doing something while shinzo abe was at mar-a-lago and they're entertaining and they just like let's have a national security meeting right here on the patio like all of these people <laughs> the random people it's just it's it's remarkable it's remarkable the country has managed to hobble along this far and yet it's endless fuel for us too so it's just the gift that keeps on giving donald <laughs> j trump it's a gift i'd like to give back frankly but anyway <laughs> moving on we're going to take a quick break and uh 
Come back and play our interview with Aaron Caton. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. song from an album that's brand new to the CFRU chart this week and will probably climb it. That was Ed Ziu from the album Potlatch in a Box. And the song, I think it was clear in the song, is called The Warrior Song. Mm-hmm. Moving on up. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Ed Ziu said they were a sound artist, not a musician. That must be the new... Let's get back into DJing to find out what the heck's going on because I was like, sound artist. I, I like it. That's that sounds like some that sounds like one of those things that's meant to be punk rock, but it's a distinction without a difference. But I don't I don't know. I don't I don't I'm not a, I'm certainly by no means a music expert. We have we have people for that at CFRU. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave that there and move us on to our interview this week, which is with Aaron Caton. They are a Ward 1 city councillor here in Guelph, uh, newly elected last year. Aaron is the first non-binary member of Guelph City Council, so it seemed pretty important. I mean, it was her turn to come back on the show, but it it seemed pretty important to make sure we got them in on Pride Week. Good timing. uh, Yeah, good timing. Pride Month. Uh, we talked a bit about this celebration for the Rainbow Crosswalk, which is coming up this Saturday. Uh, there was a soft open a couple of weeks ago. There's uh, Aaron's kind of helped organize something a little bit more. I don't want to say formal, but because uh, it, it's not black tie, but uh, <laughs> something a little more festive, something a little more official this weekend. So we talk about that. We're also obviously talking about uh, Guelph's housing issues and how city council is getting their head wrapped around that. There was a big meeting with Wellington. Uh, county social services staff a couple of weeks ago and uh aaron is a member of the public health uh the board of health so we also talk about uh how the board of health is using ai you might be if you ask the board of health question a website or the board of health website a question you might be talking to a chatbot and we're going to talk about all about that so um stay tuned for that this is our interview with aaron caton starting right now Okay, Aaron Caton, thank you so much for coming on with me today. I'm happy to be here. Uh, to start off with, um, we were just talking about the pride flag behind you, and that, that may be a nice place to start because um, you are, as as you know, as our listeners probably know, you are the first non-binary person to take a seat on our city council. So this must be a pretty, pretty big pride, at least in terms of milestones for you. It is. It's very exciting. And we also have our first crosswalk so it's like added layers on top of uh on layers of happiness for me (laughs) i didn't want to ask you uh quick about the crosswalk because i know that there are uh some people who are kind of disappointed at the the sort of the i guess the the quiet unveiling that that 
you and I were both at a couple of weeks ago. And I, I know that was kind of on the, the the coattails of the city. And and I mean, a, a lot of members of council, too, are like celebrating pride and celebrating, you know, the, the International Day Against Homophobia and getting a lot of, let's just call it grief from people on the Internet. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, from, from your point of view, how has the city handled this well, being someone who's like in the community? So, um after we had that, that crosswalk launch, um, I, I heard a lot of the feedback from folks. And then I found out that the Somervilles um, weren't contacted, basically. Mm. And I was surprised by that because when I had heard the city was working with folks, I just assumed that they were a part of it. And um, so I found that a little bit shocking. And there was a lot of miscommunication between the folks that the city was dealing with and, and that sort of thing. So um, the city also felt very bad about that too, the folks who I talked to. Uh, so I decided um, that I was going to organize a community event. Mm -hmm. And I, I started chatting up the Somervilles and a bunch of other folks who work on the Pride events and things and uh, folks in the community. And we decided on June 17th in the morning and so, you know, it's not a lot of time, so we haven't had a chance to announce it yet because we're trying to get all the details together and we were like applying for permits and um, Councillor uh, Phil Alt uh, decided he was going to help with me. And so that was really good and very helpful. It's always nice to have a straight white guy on your side. So uh, <laughs> I tease him. I call him my token straight white guy. But um, so he's helping out too, which is really nice. And we're, we started chatting up to the city when they saw the permits and they're like, Hey, you know, we'd always intended on doing a community like event, but, mm. and, and they admitted that this was not communicated well. Mm. And so they're like, this, we didn't mean this to be that. We thought it was just going to be like the first one for the folks who worked on it. And it was meant to be a small city event. And we feel very, very bad that everybody feels left out. They did all those feedback forms. That's not how we intended it. And so they asked if they could, you know, provide any help for this one. I'm like, well, how about like we just combine it, right? Mm. So uh, they agreed. So now we don't have to do permits. Uh, we are going to be having a little bit of like the little street in front of uh, the round table. Mm. It's going to be shut down so that we can have like a little street party on the little parkette that's across from the farmer's market. We decided to do it during the farmer's market so we don't have to have food. Because like some people kind of like, walk the crosswalk to go and grab some <laughs> right. stuff at the farmer's market. And um, the round table uh, wants to participate. They're applying for a little patio permit and then found coffee just down the street. They also want to help. So they're going to be offering some, um, I think, iced coffee discounts or something like that. They haven't, you know, it's all kind of not exactly planned out yet. <laughs> yeah. It's really a quick kind of thing that we're putting together. So... But as this, as this is going to air, a lot of these plans will be um, uh, worked out because uh, this this will be a couple of days after um, this goes to air on open sources. So Yeah, check um, out all of my social media. I'll, yeah. be, it. <laughs> I'll be posting it on the groups at that point. We'll know what's actually going on. But I am assuming it's going to be like from like 10 till noon on the 17th. Okay, perfect. Um. I wanted to ask, uh, getting into some council business here, um, you were the first 
new counselor who came on the show back in November. So I think I don't think you were even sworn in yet the last time we did one of these. So, you know, we're about six months in, a little over six months in. How do you feel like you are adjusting? Do you feel like you have a good handle on things as uh, you're doing the doing the city's business? I think so. Like, I'm getting better at it, I think. Like, you know, there's still a lot of learning to do. Um, because there are so many different departments and you kind of get it piecemeal with different presentations. And, you know, as things come up, you have to learn a lot about different backgrounds and like wastewater management, stormwater management, like all of these things that I did not have any background in before. So um, I just, and we've also changed some of the processes with governments and stuff like that. So like you learn a thing and then you have to upgrade your learnings quite quickly. Um, but I, I've managed to get some things passed and I'm pretty good at chatting people up on the back end. So it doesn't have to always come to a council meeting to get things done. And that's, uh, that's very fun. I'm liking it at the very least. Well, that's good. Um, in, in terms of specifics, um, uh, this, as we're talking up ladies after committee, of the whole meeting, um, the update of the strategic plan is coming. I'm curious what, I, I believe that update is coming next month. So I'm curious about where you want to put the priorities of the city and, and has that been adequately represented in the materials you've seen so far in terms of what's important to you as a, as a counselor and, and maybe what's important to your constituents? Well, um, a lot of the things that I'm, I'm big on are, are the equity pieces, right? And how those affect all of the other different silos. So um, that's why I'd asked in the meeting that we kind of break out um, an equity report. And so I've got some word back from staff on that and they are doing that. So I'm pretty happy that we're going to be able to like just really drill down and see what is being done so that everybody feels included in the city. And what, what's entailed in that exactly? Because I, I remember at the last workshop meeting, there was some back and forth about you know, is, is equity sort of its own piece and it should be like a, like a matter of policy in and of itself, or should it be a, a, a piece of sort of all other policies that all, everything the city does should be looked at through an equity lens. Is, is there, is that a distinction without a difference or is there like a real sort of conflict there between those two? Well, I think that, you know, it's more the second one, like it, equity should be, um, a set of values that we've got written out and like we want to hold ourselves to these standards. Um, I personally think that some of the legislation that we have that we kind of abide by is pretty lax. Mm. And so I want to go above and beyond some of the things like the AODA and, and stuff like that. But mm. in terms of making sure like we're including peoples and we're adding different languages now that we know how many people speak different languages after the last census, and stuff like that. Like we want to make sure that everyone has access to the city in the same way. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, once we have that outlined, making sure we are meeting it in all of the different silos and all the different service areas that we provide is really important. And I think that if you don't break it down, then there's no way to measure your progress. Mm -hmm. So it's just like kind of keeping yourself accountable. So when, when we're talking about a report, are we talking about, like every department doing their sort of their own accountability on that? Or is, is it maybe like a matter of having, I don't know if this is the right word, but like a referee who can, you know, look at all the city departments and saying, you're doing fine here. You need to improve on X, Y, Z or something like that. 
Well, we do have kind of different departments that would take care of that. Like we do have an accessibility area. We do have um, the ability to have audits within different service areas. Like I know I had requested um, an accessibility audit for the AODA at the beginning of my term. And so that's being done now to make sure that we're going to be on track to meet the 2025 deadline. And like we do have um, Sarah Said who runs the inclusion and uh, cultural diversity section. So I'm assuming that she would be pretty at the forefront of kind of like going through and doing this report to make sure, mm. I believe it is her report, mm. um, to vet what everyone's doing in the different departments and does it meet those goals. And I would add to, um, and I know you're an observer of the accessibility advisory committee meetings. Um, that That's a pretty assertive crew in terms of looking out for the accessibility of people. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm very pleased whenever I watch them. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always cheering in the background. <laughs> that's right. Um, I want to turn to housing a bit. Um, again, at committee, there was the, the presentation from the county in terms of laying out what their roles and responsibilities are. My feeling is that, although that information was helpful, um, there's still the ball is still largely in the city's court, and and now we're we're sort of waiting for that update to the affordable housing strategy. Is is that how you're seeing things? Yeah, without numbers and seeing like what exactly we're missing, it's hard to make a plan, right? Mm. So um, I know that the problem is huge and it's it's more than we're going to be able to fund personally um so it's a matter of convincing all the other layers of government um there there are other things we can kind of do in terms of pushing like i know like support letters are one of the things that we do and depending on how many other municipalities kind of jump on and do them it's a hit or miss of whether or not they're just like oh well <laughs> just kind of like <laughs> toss it to the side right because they've done that with some of our stuff like we get a, a cursory letter back that says we acknowledge that you yeah. have feelings basically <laughs> and um and it's you know that that's what we can do at our layer for that but um i am bringing something to council at the end of the month for a support letter to go towards um c22 which is the uh disability funding top up by the federal government, which I'm hoping that they get in before summer break. Um, it was indicated on Twitter to me by Lloyd Longfield that that is his hope and intent is to get it pushed through before summer break. Um, what is C22? So that is a disability benefit similar to CERB, but it's a top up on the provincial governments. So okay. like right now, every provincial government has their own amount and the federal government is proposing via the Senate amendments, because there are just some Senate amendments, um, that there is like a layer that brings people up to poverty, basically, because right. all of them are sub-poverty right now, so that um, they'll be able to afford some level of housing. Because a lot of the folks who are out on the streets right now are on ODSP mm -hmm. and they just can't afford any homes at all, right? Mm. So there's getting homes built that they can actually live in for accessibility purposes 
and then there's them being able to afford the housing. So if you right now market housing is all there's that that is out there for them, and so folks need to be able to pay for a place to stay. Right, <clears throat> and uh, as you were indicating, ODSP has sort of been chronically undervalued. Um, oh, it's yeah. it's the, it's the same as you, you get the same amount of money now as you would have gotten in 1997. So it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's a little over the top how, anyway, um, given all this, I, I think th- this is kind of where reality is sort of, or, or where people's desire for housing solutions is kind of cresting against reality, right? Because um, we're trying to get a handle on the problem. We know that there's a huge, huge problem. We're trying to get a handle on it. And in lieu of, you know, the provincial government announcing, okay, we're going to build, you know, just to pull a number, 400,000 affordable units in Ontario. You know, this is largely on the municipality to figure out. And I guess, how how are you managing? Because I'm sure you're getting it a lot from constituents or people on the street even who recognize you. Just, you know, the breadth of the crisis. Not just people who um, can't afford a place to live, but people who are like holding on to a place to live by, you know, their fingertips and are maybe one rent increase away from, from being homeless themselves. Yeah. I've had a lot of folks contact me and like even very, very recently um, someone saying, you know, they're concerned because they have to move out of Guelph because of the rental prices and they are in the LGBTQ plus community. And a lot of the places that are affordable are not necessarily as friendly as Guelph are. And so that's an extra terrifying aspect of the situation for a lot of people. And um, it's hard because like a lot of the things that I had originally thought about in terms of, you know, trade-offs when I was doing my campaign got taken away by Bill 23, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like um, being able to play with uh, developer fees and other things and, and offer discounts for folks who are building, you know, affordable units. Like they put in, what is affordable is at an 80% market cap, mm. which is not affordable, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't actually qualify. So if they can just get away with that, then why are they going to try to come to me for a proposal of the same thing for, you know, a 50% or a rent geared to income? Mm-hmm. So it just gets to the point where you have to be in the business of building buildings if you want to make them affordable. And so that requires all three layers of government coming together to fund those. And, you know, that's fine if that's what we're going to do, but the other two levels of government have to be on board with it. Mm-hmm. I guess then how, how frustrated are you that, and, and I imagine this is a sort of a general frustration with a lot of council that, you know, you, you can't move you, you can't really move fast enough. And now here we are again, waiting for another report that's going to tell us how bad the problem is specifically. Um, but I, 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 you know, at that, knowing how bad the problem is, doesn't necessarily get to the next level of solving the problem because uh, there was a line at the committee of the whole. Um, I can't remember who asked, but somebody asked Mark post the, the director of housing at the County point blank. Like it's not going to be $18 million to, to fix housing needs. And he said, no, it's going to be higher. <laughs> Yeah, like it's going to be it's going to be a big number. And you when you try to create affordability, you have to pay for that. And so then it creates another layer of inaffordability. <laughs> like mm-hmm. 
you know, like as a single mom, um, I like my property taxes are, it's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I totally get it when people say, you know, we can't get our property taxes any higher. And I'm like, yes, I get that. Um, what, do, what do we cut? Right? What do mm-hmm. we stop doing? Because everything is needed, right? And we are already doing things that are other layers of responsibility for the government, right? Like, it would be awesome if the province was paying the money that we were paying for the hospital, because mm. that would be, you know, like a three million situation that we could put towards housing, right? Mm. We're doing things for extra police downtown when really it should be the province and the federal government helping us pay for mental health and for addiction services right. and for, you know, shelters and housing in the meantime while we get all of this other stuff built up. So um, we do play a lot of... Um, Basically, it's like catching the ball, right? It's like a game of hot potato responsibility. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And when we're where everybody lives, you know, we're just left holding this hot potato going, okay, I guess we're going to try and see what we can do. But then you get spread real thin, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it it's very frustrating. <laughs> incredibly, incredibly frustrating. All right. Let's talk about something uh, a little bit different um, and something kind of more in your uh, day job realm, because uh, I know you're on the public health board and there was a lot of discussion at this month's meeting about how um, public health might use artificial intelligence to, to serve the community better. You are a techie. You, you literally, you don't hail from Silicon Valley, but you did spend a significant amount of time there. So um, can you talk a bit about sort of your concerns and, you know, from your experiences in the tech realm about, um, you, I mean, not just AI at public health, but, you know, how AI can, you know, change governance for, you know, not necessarily for the worse, but, you know, for the better, you know, these changes are coming. Yeah. When I heard <laughs> in the meeting, I was just like having a bit of a <laughs> kind of moment, like, and I, it really depends on what they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I, I do think that the public health has a really good tech team. Like, they're, they're really smart and they're very security-minded. So um, this is not to say, like, they haven't thought these things through or anything like that. But, um, like, when you just hear something, like, we're going to use AI, and especially mm-hmm. with chat GPT, I was like, hmm. Um, because even their developers have admitted that, you know, a lot of false information because it comes direct from the internet, right? It's not mm-hmm. like if you're using it for health purposes, then it only uses these databases and this amount of information. It, it can span to like rando conspiracy theory dude mm-hmm. who has posted a thing online. And um, I'm sure you've seen some of the articles of the like questionable content it comes out with. Yeah. Um, but a lot... Uh, so like, while, while I was not in security specifically, I have managed some teams that were, and I have a lot of friends who like, they get paid to go and give presentations to the FBI and stuff like that. So like really high level security friends, and they've posted to our Facebook, like very funny things that they've <laughs> found with chat GPT and they're like, they don't use it for stuff. So <laughs> I always consider that level of, you know, but for me, just as a time thing, like if you always have to verify the content, is it really saving that much time? I don't know. Right. Right. But it depends mm. on what you're using it for. 
if they're just using it for you know personal info changing up the marketing so that it sounds better if they're you know like a tech person and they like right rewrite this like a marketing person would right right and then, and then it does that like so that's a different thing right so it really just depends on the context of the use and they're not putting any personal information in they know about all those security holes and risks and stuff like that so um you know i'm <laughs> hope for the best on that one uh this is neither here nor there but are are you one of those people who have like in like would you sign on to the letter that says AI is going to destroy us all if if we don't cut it out now? It's it, or is is there is is the tool valuable depending on how it's used? The tool is valuable depending on how it's used. Um, I think that you know, aside from it being used to make really convincing phishing, you know, and hacking things, so that's one of the <laughs> biggest things it's being used for right now. Um, I think that you know copyright infringement and indifferent art issues are some of the things that they need to really figure out because it's like stealing writing styles and other stuff. And mm -hmm. I have friends who are um, university professors and things, and they're having a hard time with uh, deciding what is a valid essay and, you know, right. how does that change the scope of learning institutions and things like that. So there are like philosophical issues with it mm -hmm. more so than I think, you know, end of times issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting because you have something like Grammarly, which essentially like fixes your grammar for you and but it is, is AI and then but that's yeah. wholly different from saying, hey, chat GPT, write me an essay about, you know, Dickens perceptions on, you know, classic quality in 19th century England. <laughs> Some of the fun things that there is some accessibility benefits though I found out. So like okay. um so I have a lot of autistic friends um and they have been using it to rewrite their dating profiles. So I like ah. write this from the point of view of someone who is uh neurotypical. <laughs> things <laughs> like that. And so they're they're getting uh, a little and like rewriting them like, oh, that does sound different. I'm like, I wouldn't go for that personally, but <laughs> like go with the original. I, I do. I do like the world where AI is helping people get dates and not destroying the world. That's that yeah, suits yeah. So me better. Very cool. Well, Aaron, Caton, thank you so much for all your time today, uh, and uh, have a have a nice summer. And uh, it's I know it's going to be a busy fall if it's not already a busy June. But thanks for all your time. Thank you. And once again, that was Aaron Caton. So if you are hanging around downtown outside the farmer's market this weekend or, or this Saturday, uh, 10 to 12, take part in the celebrations of the Rainbow Crosswalk. Uh, take part in many celebrations. There's a lot going on in town. National Indigenous History Day is at Riverside Park next Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Yes, the 21st. So yes. uh, yeah, lots of fun there. And uh, yeah, it's good times. It's June. It's summer. Get out and about. Get out of the bunker, as they say. I have. You saw me. <laughs> That's true. I can you confirm. <laughs> I can confirm. Scotty Hertz has gotten sunshine in the last couple of weeks. The colors back in his cheeks. <laughs> well, certainly was already there in the shirt wearing fluorescent orange around downtown Guelph, but we'll leave that there. Uh, this isn't a fashion show. This is not a fashion show. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Okay. You could stay connected. Not like to I was us. trying to hide. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's right. You certainly weren't hiding. Stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. 
If you'd like to listen to our show again, you can download it from the website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter, and Mastodon. And if you're joining us on the FM at our usual time, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. Indeed, that is one of the many great programs that you will hear on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return, of course, next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.